0: Well, hi, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I know we're going to have a wonderful conversation today. If you liked our opening music, it's called Claring Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we're about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people all around the world. So that means people living with dementia families, business professionals, authors, singers, songwriters, advocates, researchers, children who are out there making a difference. So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. We would love to talk with you. You can reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer Speaks and I would uh, love to hear your story. Now before I introduce our guest today, I want to do a few shout outs. First, I'm going to cover a couple of Uh, support groups because I think it's really important especially with COVID people are feeling lost so Arthur's Memory Cafe we have been doing since gosh I think 2011 and um, that is for people with dementia and their care partners and we are doing that virtually so anybody in the world can participate we do it on the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at two o'clock eastern one o'clock central so that would be um, noon mountain time and Um, 11 a.m pacific time we usually run about an hour hour and a half with those depending on how many people show up so again arthur's memory cafe and then brookdale north oaks and the shoreview community center um, host a caregiver connect and we normally do that in person at the last day of each month and that would be at 10 a.m central time i think we're probably going to go virtual again the end of this month just because uh the virus is is so bad we did it last last month as well um and it was really well received but you can register for that by either reaching out to me or calling 763-913-6140 uh what else i want to mention of course dementia map dementia map is a global resource directory i'm thrilled uh, to have developed with Dave Weidrick, who has the Memory Cafe directories for five countries. This is something near and dear to my heart, something I wanted for 37 years. We have 150 different categories that people can search. We made it really easy. So nobody has to sign in, have an account, um, feel like they're going to be vulnerable to getting hacked um, or having to remember a, another password because we know we're all, we're all sick of that. And so it's very, very easy to use. And if you have a service product or tool or would like to be part of that, you can go to Dementia Map and sign up for a free listing. Or I also do market strategy meetings with people. And I also do support groups um, and family meetings so that I can teach them how to maneuver through. So again, just reach out to me at radio at uh, alzheimerspeaks.com then let's see picnic health you might not have heard about them but they are an important alzheimer's disease uh, research project and with picnic health what you can do is you can sign up and when you do you get 25 dollars. you go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and they collect and digitize all of your medical records into one uh, online account And then you can consent to share that anonymized information um, of your records with medical researchers who who can find things out that they wouldn't have found out in a normal everyday clinical trial. And so know that by sharing this real world information, you are pushing things forward and letting them see a different side of the healthcare journey. And if you care for somebody with dementia, Uh, You can also sign them up and uh, make an account for them as well. Again, go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks.
2: adapt it.
0: Well, I am really excited about today's show. We are going to be talking about a brand new organization called Dementia Minds. And our guests are all board of directors and executive directors of the National Council of Dementia Minds. They are all international speakers. They're resentless when it comes to dementia advocacy. And they are also consultants. So the National Council of Dementia Minds is proud to be the first nonprofit organization actually governed by persons living with dementia. So I'm going to introduce everybody we have on the screen here with us today, and I'm going to go with Bonnie Erickson first. She is the board president and former program analyst for the Department of Homeland Security. And Bonnie was diagnosed with white matter disease and vascular dementia in 2017. So welcome, Bonnie. Next is Brian LeBlanc, and he is the board vice president, and he is a former marketing and public relations executive Brian was diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's disease in 2014, and then later was diagnosed with white matter and vascular dementia. So welcome, Brian. So Stephen Barbieri serves as the board treasurer and he is a former VP and district manager for Wells Fargo. Stephen was diagnosed with CTE, which is what we hear a lot of the NFL players and hockey players getting, and he was diagnosed with that in 2011. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you. And next is Mark Roberts. And Mark Roberts serves as the board secretary, and he is a former skilled tradesman. And he was diagnosed with vascular dementia in 2014. So we're thrilled to have you with us as well, Mark. So thank you. And then Brenda Roberts is the wife of Mark, and she serves as the executive director So welcome to you, Brenda, and um, thanks for pulling this group of fabulous people together.
3: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having us.
0: So normally I ask everybody before I kind of get into my line of questioning is, have you been touched by dementia? And that's pretty obvious through the introductions, but what I'd like to have each of you um, just throw in briefly, and I'll point a question to each of you as I go, but you know, how how has it changed your life um, living with dementia Um, and Bonnie, I'll go to you first.
4: Well, um, to be totally honest, it has changed my life a great deal. Um, You know, I had to leave work, which um, at 58, I wasn't quite ready for. Um, So there was financial change. um, There was friend change. There was, um, um, depression change. And after finally getting to the acceptance point, there is, um, a new part of my life, um, through advocacy and, um, working, working with this amazing group of people to include even a bigger group, uh, beyond us. So, you know, um, there was some negatives, but now I'm I'm into the positive side of things, and and I'm thankful for that.
0: Wonderful, thank you, Brian. How about you? How has dementia changed your life?
1: Well, it started years ago, Lori, and uh, no, just kidding. Um, it uh, kind of like uh, what Bonnie said it it's kind of uh, a big smack in the face that you you know, that there are signs that have been happening and, but then when you hear the word Alzheimer's, it, it just, it, it shakes you, you know, you, um, it changes things drastically. Like Bonnie, also I, I lost my job uh, when I was 50, 54 and no, no, I'm sorry. Um, it was later than that. But I, I, haven't, I haven't held a job for, you know, I guess the f- past five or six years. And that was a big part of my life. And um, but then through that, uh, I also went through uh, a divorce. And um, but I am happily married again. I'm, I'm going to get it right this time, and um, uh, but Maureen uh, Rulison is also a, uh, a certified advocate, and she helps individuals like like all of us get into care communities. Uh, gives them uh, information that they need to handle their um, their monies. And um, so she she sort of knows what to do, when to do it and how to do it very, very well. And um, I can be a bit of a handful at times, um, but uh, I'm just very lucky. So thank well, you for
0: having you snagged one that knows how to work with you well. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you're not Glad
5: kidding, to- huh? <laughs> for Glad me. to
0: hear that. <laughs> Stephen, how about you? How has dementia changed your life?
5: Well, it was pretty devastating because I was diagnosed at just a- at the age of 51. Again, I was in uh, vice president, district manager at Wells Fargo Bank. So very high, stressful job. I was managing 12 Wells Fargo's ma- large district. My wife was a school teacher at the time, and we had three children at home. So it was pretty rough. Um, when, when I got it because we weren't expecting that type of a diagnosis, uh, when we went to see the doctor, but I always tell everybody, I try and count my blessings, not my challenges. So, uh, I ended up having to retire at age 51, but I was very fortunate. I had purchased long-term disability through my work and somebody through work had called me and let me know and I was able to fill out the paperwork. So financially we were okay because of that. So I was very blessed with that, but it actually, it gave me my life back because I was missing out on my kids' football games, wrestling matches, water polo things, because I was working until, you know, the banks were open until six o'clock. Uh, branches were open on Saturday. So I wasn't seeing my family as much. So my plans were actually to retire at 55. So I could spend more time with the kids. But I look at it as a blessing that I got four extra years at home with my kids to spend that time with them. And I always tell people, I never expect anyone to do something I'm not willing to do myself. So I didn't want to sit back and just wait for a cure to be found. I actually uh, got into a clinical trial at UCSF up in San Francisco. I became an advocate, um, self-educated in a sense of I try and read as much as I can. It's funny, sometimes when I go see my neurologist, and she's the chief neurologist at Kaiser, um, sometimes I'm educating her versus her educating me. It's like half the time she's writing notes from, okay, Stephen, what did you experience and how are things going with you now trying CBD and different things. So um, basically, dementia is a big part of my life because of the changes. But again, I'm trying to be out there because like I said at the beginning, I'm not waiting for a cure to be found. I want to be part of it.
0: I love that. And I love that you are taking the, the attitude of gratitude. When you mentioned about, you know, educating the doctors, I saw everyone's head shaking. Like that's typically what I hear from everybody. And yet everyone goes to the doctor thinking they have all the answers. And it's so important for people with dementia and their families to speak up and tell them, what's really happening, you know, um, the books don't have it all down for sure. Mark, how about you? How did your life change, uh, once you were diagnosed?
6: Well, I, I guess when I think about when I was told, I, there was so much, I should say, start that there was so much other things going on with anger and not remembering, and then frustrated with this. And, uh, not being a nice person and uh, not a loving husband or a father. But when I had them all in the same room, when the uh, uh, counselor was just saying after we've had all these tests that I had dementia. Now I just sunk in my seat. I was so relieved that I finally found what was wrong. Uh, I knew I was uh, losing my family because I was showing them no love at all or attention or encouragement like I normally did. And um, I'm just an SOB. And to find out that uh, finally, what, what the heck's going on is, one of the best things that ever happened to me, because that set me down to look at what's happening around me, start listening to uh, other people. And Brenda had worked in the field prior to this with a lot of dementia. And um, so she, you know, pitched right in, like, you know, we need to look at this, but what, you know, I could work with her then it seemed like I was uh, coherent to listen. And I have done that right along. I know I needed to make major changes. I went for counseling. Uh, Brenda went with me and I took my children a couple times and uh, we were able to recover real quick as far as not dwelling on, he's got dementia, don't say this, or that's why he does that. So everybody come to an understanding what dementia was as far as my reactions, and how I felt, why I would cry or whatever. So, uh, so ever since then, my attitude has been up. Oh, that's you can't do any more. I've already hit the basement, and and uh, like Steven said, it's just up. You could just. You have to pick up the pieces and make the best of it. And I'm not one to be an unhappy person. I always like to have a lot of fun and make life easy for everybody. And now I make it real easy for my family. They carry a whip with them, so it's. Uh, I I I really appreciate what I got to learn from uh, the counselors, and then also. Uh, the uh, people who give me the tests were very uh, down to earth and uh, they, you know, they, they would tell me they're not the big experts, but they would tell me what I had. And this is what you kind of would look for. Mm -hmm. So I was to that point, I felt I was really blessed and I've, I've, uh, I've changed my life. (laughs) You You have to.
0: Yeah, Yeah. when you mentioned feeling that sense of relief, again, that's something I hear just about everybody who gets diagnosed say because this is, this is a hard journey to get diagnosed, you know, is there's so many different things that it could be and so I, I people I think are really surprised when they hear that there's this relief but you know, when you're going in your mind, what's wrong, I know something's wrong, and and you don't have any answers, then you don't have a path to follow. And it just makes so much sense. So thank you for sharing that. Brenda, when dementia knocked on your door, how did it how did it change your
3: life? Well, you know, I, I have to capitalize on what Mark said in terms of we were not at a good spot,
5: mm-hmm. you know, in
3: our relationship, because I did not recognize his early signs and symptoms as signs and symptoms of dementia. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's pretty common for people living with dementia or <clears throat> before they get a young onset diagnosis, it's not uncommon that relationships are severed or they lose a job before they um, get their diagnosis. And so um, so Mark alluded to, and a lot of people ask about this, that he was a very angry man at that time. And he had a big temper going on and it it, it took a toll on the relationship. But now, you know, after he got his diagnosis, now I have a lot of women coming like, okay, so he, you know, is he still angry? And, you know, yeah, I mean, everybody gets angry, but, but we, the diagnosis let us do was figure out, okay, so the work was too much stress. So we changed the environment, what we were living. And then, you know, he changed. And so, um, so we were able to restore our relationship. So from that personal perspective, and then Lori, I just have to say, after Mark was diagnosed, I went back to school. I ran around the country trying to get education and training. <laughs> but like you, you know, you interview and talk to people living with dementia. It wasn't until I really started listening to the people living with dementia that I really started learning. And what I have to say is these guys and, the, you know, these people here today and the other people in our organization, they're always saying, oh, thank you, Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am so thankful that I get this opportunity and our paths in life would have never crossed with many, many of the people that we get to meet. And so, you know, is it tough? You betcha. You know, there's tough times living with dementia, Um, but just like Stephen and the others have said, Mark, uh, we try to look at the positive side. I mean, what other choice? We have one life to live and we're going to live it the best we can.
0: Yeah, well, and and I'm with you, Brenda. People living and and, um, being diagnosed or caring for somebody who are in the trenches, to me, those are the true experts. Those are the people we have to listen to if we're going to make true change, if we are really going to bend the curve here and, and meet the needs. So often, you know, we followed a, a medical and academic model that scientifically maybe made sense, but when no one's in touch with what's really going on, you know, uh, you can have one conversation with one person with dementia and go, oh, that's not going to work at all, is it? You know, you know and, and they've spent maybe thousands of hours trying to develop something. I mean, we've got to have inclusion in this. We just, we just have to. So again, honored that you're all here today because I know I'm going to learn. Let's start with how did Dementia Minds get started? And Stephen, I'm going to throw that to you.
5: Um, well, I actually have to say two thank yous. One to Brenda, which is huge. And the other one is the social media because we're all across the country. I used to live in California. I just moved to Idaho. Uh, Bonnie's in Montana. Brian's in Florida now and Mark's in Michigan so and then we had other people that joined as well there was eight of us so actually it was something just out on social media Brenda actually had put it out about she wanted to get a group together uh, to do a presentation in Michigan and it was just something that I saw, and I think because I have quite a few friends and, and friends I've met through uh, different uh, social media groups on Facebook and Instagram and some of the other ones, is that it was just out there. So some of us were talking, are you going to do it? That sounds interesting. And like I said, I, I'm not sitting back waiting I want to be a part of it. So when I saw this as another opportunity and it made sense because it was getting people like me together, that was the biggest thing. And I think maybe some others can share the same things that when I first got diagnosed, I felt like I was the only person. I didn't think there was anybody like me. Uh, and then, um, I, when I saw the Alzheimer's association, I said, I don't have Alzheimer's. I have CTE, so they can't help me, but I was misinformed because of the way you hear about that organization. So I was looking for people like me, uh, and some of the groups I had gotten into earlier. Um, you know, I was 51 at the time when I got diagnosed, so they're putting me in groups with people in their seventies or eighties or whatever. And to be honest, we were at a different point in our lives. And also I was at early stage. So. We, we couldn't really um, relate to some of the things that we were talking about. So I, again, I was looking for people closer to my age, had similar life experiences, something that I could learn from. Cause to be honest with you, other groups I had been in, I felt like I was a teacher. I'd show up and there was a teacher in the class, but I was sharing, sharing, sharing. And then I would turn around and say, okay. And I wasn't feeling like I was getting anything back. Whereas in this group, the great thing is, is I get um, like reinsurance. Like, if you notice that when all of us are talking, what are the rest of us doing? Because we're saying, yeah, yep, that happens to me. Yep, that's similar to me. I have to take a nap. I get stressed. I get angry, and now it makes me feel like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not different. This is my new normal. And at the same time, then, you know, I was sharing with my wife. She used to get upset when she was still working. She'd leave for work in the morning and I'd be in bed. She'd come home around three o'clock and I'd be in bed. But I had gone to the gym and done other things. And she was very upset thinking I was laying around. But she didn't realize that a lot of people in the late afternoon get tired mentally and you need that time out. So once I told her, I say, everybody in my group takes a nap, babe it's not just me. I'm not being lazy. So I think it made me feel normal is what it did. And I'm extremely thankful to Brenda for putting out that simple email uh, thing out on Facebook and all of us responded and we've all become very good friends. I'm very happy to say that we've become very good friends
0: social media is so important and yet so many families don't know how many resources are out there. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I'm glad that you mentioned it's your new normal. Cause I get really tired of people saying dementia is not normal aging. And it's like, it is for a large amount of the population and that affects not just the person with dementia, but their, their circle as well. And so I think we really do have to talk about this realistically being a new normal, um, the numbers are climbing, you know, now they're talking with COVID, it might increase even more. And, you know, it—it it is just something, you know, when it's, when you're not, nobody wants to not be normal, you know, and we all have our own normals. And so I think part of it is the the verbiage that drives me bonkers on that too. So thank you, Stephen. Um, Mark, what is, what is the mission of the National Council of Dementia Minds?
6: Well, it's pretty simple, <laughs> Our mission is is to uh, uh, build groups, not not great big groups, but to help counsel, help uh, bring people together that can understand when you explain something like this is happening to me and someone pipes up in the group, I can help you with that. This is what happened to me. And they're like, Wow, I didn't think about doing it that way or or visiting that that part of uh, the medical field. So we're in in the process of building different groups that you can have some across the country where you can feel comfortable and come and sit down and start your conversation at whatever level you are and you'll fit right in. And We welcome all the people that way. It is a, uh, it's a real close group. And very few people uh, that we have over the last uh, two years have even uh, not show up at some of the meetings or send emails to Brenda and I, and especially uh, with the other folks here, we get emails. So I, uh, It's a new norm. That's the only thing I can think of that really, it's a new life. It's a new norm. Uh, You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but we're here to catch you if you slip up. And uh, it's only out of love that we're doing this. It satisfies us a great deal and makes us feel really good. makes us feel wanted like we were working. And I think it's uh, one of the blessings that, uh, dementia Mine has it's at the top of their list and that is giving somebody somebody uh, actually that could lean on someone else and get comforted with comfortable with it and even find somebody that may have an answer for you for your question uh, and to me what more do you want to get started and to, for that those kind of things last forever till the day yeah. you you know, that doesn't happen anymore. And uh, like Steve says, it's, we've meet with a lot of different groups, Brenda and I, and, and, uh, well, we all do, but there's a lot of uh, sharing of love and concern. And, uh, it's, I wish work was like that, (laughs) you know, when I was working, you know, you'd you'd hear somebody cussing you out and you're like, what did I do? You know? But it's not like that anymore. It's reaching out. It's uh, when we've been in groups with uh, different uh, uh, conferences and stuff. It's just it's really people just draw right in together, and you don't know who's normal or who's got dementia. So it's a really good thing. I feel great about it. I it's really picked up my spirits and uh, has given me something to live for.
0: Well, I think, you know, you're talking about building community and peer support. And a lot of times what I hear from people going through this, especially before diagnosis, you know, they kind of pull back because they are, you know, or friends and family have pulled away. I mean, all of those types of things and you feel kind of isolated and and unknown in terms of what you're dealing with and that everybody wants to be part of a group. Everybody wants to feel purposeful. And then in addition, you know, you are you're pulling people together to support, not to fix, because there's not a fix, but there's, there's lots of different ways to adapt and to, to live well. And what I have found um, in this industry for a long time, you know, my mom lived with it for 30 years, was there wasn't anybody talking about what, what really was going on. And there was this hiding of the anger and the frustration and the depression. And, you know, we can't move through it if we don't, if we don't name it, you know, and um, find different ways to, to help us move through those types of things. So I, you know, I like the, the giving hope. I, I think um, so often too, people think, well, you know, I have nothing to give, but we're always, you know, 10 steps behind somebody and 10 steps ahead of somebody else. And I think people find that really quickly in a group like this. Stephen, you had a comment?
5: Yeah. It's like Mark said, you know, we advocate, educate, and support. Those are the, the main three things we do. And that the nice thing is, is that they're hearing, I use this example, they're hearing firsthand information, lived experiences with people living with dementia. And you notice how I use the word dementia because I can't say Alzheimer's because I don't have that. Bonnie doesn't have that. It's The nice thing is that we have people that had Lewy body disease, white matter disease, frontal temporal lobe disease, uh, dementia, CT. We had different things. So when somebody does hear from our group they're hearing a very broad point. And like, we have people with Louie bodies. We had a gentleman that was on our board that was with Louie bodies. I could talk to them and they could have shared experiences. So I kind of use the, the example of if you're going to have a baby, do you want to go see a doctor, a woman doctor or a male doctor? And then think about that. The woman has had five babies. So she's actually lived having a baby. Yet you're hearing from a male doctor who's never had a baby. And he's trying to tell the wife or the woman everything that's going to go. So I just know, I had to choose if I was a woman having a baby I'd want somebody a doctor that had five babies already that had lived experience versus a doctor that's just telling me what he thinks or what he's read.
0: Yep. Just push it through yeah get over it yeah. <laughs> So wonderful thank you for those comments. Bonnie, have you had a, a memorable moment from one of the one of the sessions or groups that you've been involved in with dementia Minds?
4: Well, to be totally honest, um, I have several. Um, well, I'll tell you two quickly. One was our very first uh, conference in Michigan there, um, put on by MOLA, um, Michigan Assisted Living Association. We came together and we uh, this was the project that uh, Stephen was talking about that Brenda had solicited for. And we each had a, a part that was uh dear to our heart for example it's it was called the journey and it takes you from kind of the beginning something's wrong with me to the diagnosis part to the grievance part grieving part and all the stages in grieving to the all right pull myself up on my bootstraps and and go down the road with the best positive attitude that i can and so we each, uh, worked really hard on our scripts and we, um, performed the production at this conference. And there was, I think I might be wrong about 450 people there and there wasn't a dry eye in the place, you know, it, you could have heard a pin drop and they were so interested to hear from us and what it was like for us, um, You know, and so afterwards, and then the mingling afterwards with everybody and being able to talk and share, um, and they were mostly um, professional people or um, um, facility owners and doctors and nurses and, you know, and some people, others with dementia as well. So that was one of my very first ones. And then my other one, because my passion is the diagnosis process was to talk to, um, a medical, um, I, at the university of Michigan at medical class, and we all got together and, um, you know, kind of discussed various issues and topics, but, you know, I was really, really hoping and stressing and educating on the diagnosis process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you've heard, Lori, you've said that you've kind of you know been in this game for a long long time and it just blows me away my my doctor told me to go live my life mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends heard go get your affairs in order well what you know what does that mean what are you saying you know i have a day i have a year i have a month it's so confusing and so i advocate for resources when i'm walking out the door you know, whether the doctor can give them to me or not, or give me the answers himself. If he could just hand me someplace, because I floundered out here online, trying to find my place in the world until, um, Dementia Minds came along and, uh, yay, thank goodness. And it would be so nice for so many people like you, they don't know where, where to go. Um, it would be so nice if some of the reputable, um, non-for-profits or for profits, there was a resource book, you know, like you get when you maybe have a, a different type of diagnosis. My husband came home with the binder. We both sat down and read it. I just came home with go live your life and started making a will, you know, that was the difference in, in that scenario. So
0: well, And that's, a, that's what bothered me too. And, you know, like I said, my mom's been gone since 2014. She lived 30 years. That scenario has not changed all over the world for the most part. And think of the difference that would be made is if people instead of on their way, way out the door were saying, you know, being told, get your fears in order. And here's some resources for you to connect with. That's why we created the dementia map you know, global resource directory. And there's so much stuff out there that people don't know about. And we'd love you guys to be part of that as well. Um, And to even, you know, list your group in different ways. So it's easily found in the the 150 um, different categories that we have, you know, to be able to, uh, for people to be able to find what it is they need. And families are demanding that. Um, and doctors and clinics need to take this on as well as social workers and everything else. You know, ev- all the staff is stretched too much and we've got to work together to do a better job. That's just the bottom line. I, I really totally, totally resonate with that so deeply because it's it saddened me in all these years that no one stepped forward to do that and to, and to make a difference. And there's no reason we can't work together. Um, to do that. There are, I mean, we've got people living with dementia that are listed on there because they have great resources. They've got blogs or videos, or they've written a book or whatever, Um, family members, researchers, clinical trials, a little bit of everything, but let a family decide what's right for them, you know, and let their friends be able to to access this information easily too, because there's a big, I think, paradigm that has to shift as well, and that is that a lot of organizations, one, they only like to give out their own information because they're too scared of the competition instead of differentiating themselves and letting people know why they're different. Or, oh my God, it's okay if you attend more than one group of different organizations, people have that right. But there's this belief that, and I hear this from businesses a lot, well, you know, we have everything we need right here. No, you don't. Because we wouldn't have dementia friendly communities we wouldn't have memory cafes if we weren't talking to people around the world, because those were their ideas. So get out of your bubble and realize that families don't all live in the same city and don't know everything. And that there are so many resources that can be available to people virtually and much of them are free. Which is another big hurdle for people. So I'm going to get off my little soapbox there, but that just drives me nuts. And I I totally agree with you on that, Brian. I want to go to you next because you've said on more than one occasion um, that you know support groups, you know they they offer education and they bring you great satisfaction and they provide you purpose and meaning. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Well, sure. Um when we do get in front of um audiences and and give our you know go through our our presentations and so forth the amount of people that come afterwards and come up to us and they they're either thanking us they're asking uh questions about their their husband wife mother father whatever it is they're asking for advice on what to do you know with them they've just been diagnosed with something so what do we do for our next step um and and that's that's kind of uh our we we feed off of that it it's an energy that comes into us and we you know when you get into this you, you're trying to find your niche, you know, and, and, and trying to find out where you belong. And this is where we belong. We belong in this whole atmosphere. Um, but we also do a lot of stuff on social media, as, uh, as Stephen uh, had said earlier. You know, we, we write a lot uh we either on blogs or just different posts and so forth um some of them just fall by the wayside other other get other posts get a uh more of a response because it it clicks with certain people mm-hmm. um the newly diagnosed um they are well let me let me back up a second when they go to their neurologist to get a diagnosis that has been the the thorn in so many sides because of the fact that they don't really give you a lot of information as what to do you know and i know you've heard that over and over and over again well they start reaching out to different areas and some of them fall on us and so we they basically take them virtually by the hand and say okay what did and, and what you what you said you wanted us to tell you what we did previous to uh our diagnosis well we asked them the same questions let's say like, what did you do you know what what made you happy when you were working and just you, you're pulling information out so that you can start a conversation with that person. And when they walk away, they always thank us. There's always a thank you involved, which meant we reach them in some, some sort of reaching. I don't know how to, how to do that, but... Um, we also do like i said the in the in person seminars i think that's our favorite thing um yeah, yeah, as yeah yes it is um it's it's getting in front of the audience and you know they they are okay the the uh stereotype is they say they're hearing? Oh, these people with Alzheimer's disease or MCI or uh, vascular dementia and, and so forth. Um, they're coming to speak, and so they're expecting people that are probably on their last last stage. And then here we come, <laughs> and we start talking and they just you could just see them smiling some people are crying because no one has talked to them like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and here we are we're talking to them and telling them what's going on afterwards we're we're handing out cards and you know yes if you have a question don't hesitate to call we'll help you as much as we possibly can but man we just we just feed off of that. And it's absolutely wonderful, but it not only allows us to be in that person to person uh, space, but for us, like I said, it's already uh, it's already something that we've experienced, but every experience that we do experience is brand new a lot of the times we might see the same people and we we don't remember them and so we have to have a uh a, a little prodding sometimes to uh to to get them to tell us where did you meet us before <laughs> and and not trying to sound like oh i forgot all about you and so but this whole organization is just built for people that are living with a dementia-related illness. I know we talk a lot about Alzheimer's, but you know, there's so many other diseases that fall under that dementia umbrella. And you know, look at us, we're we're varied in in the diseases that we have. Of course, the most common being Alzheimer's, but there's a lot of us. Hundreds of thousands of people are out there. And,
0: and how many I'm, people are misdiagnosed? They're told Alzheimer's and then whoops, nope, you're over here. You know, I mean, so that happens with a lot of people too. and Exactly. And so it, to have the conversation, to be inclusive, I think is just so, so very important. And, and what you guys are doing to me is what I call emotional-based training. You're allowing people to laugh and cry. You're, you're allowing them yeah. to feel the need to change and to give them hope. Um, I'll never forget, and I'm sure you guys have had this too. I, I was speaking one time and I was talking about our personal experiences and I had one man sitting, he was in the front, front table and he sobbing hysterically. I mean, just sobbing hysterically. And I, and I got done and I went down and I said, are you okay? And he said, he, he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, I just couldn't control myself. And one of his peers ran out and got him a roll of toilet paper and plopped it down. Cause he couldn't even move. He was just frozen crying
1: oh. and,
0: And, and I said, um, is there anything I can do to help? And he said, you've already, you've already helped. And I said, um, he says the, the stories, he says, I have been an administrator of a nursing home for 21 years and all the information I was giving people, I really thought my heart was correct. My dad now has it. And I know I'm doing everything wrong and I feel so bad for those families hearing real stories from real people and uh, people living with dementia. I mean, I've seen the reactions of, of the crowd, like you said, just being memorized because they're they're like, oh my God, this isn't what I thought. You know, they're expecting you to be rolled out in a wheelchair, say a couple of things and, you know, you're up there, you know, going back and forth and getting them to laugh and and sharing your experiences. And they're blown away but you know that's all part of the stigma that that has to change and what a better way to do that to show people everyone's not in their end stages people have insights and they have voices and they live with purpose and they're fun individuals that you want to hang out with and like I think it might have been Mark where you had said you can't tell who's who in a group you know and that's the way it should be That's the way it should be, you know, we're stigma
1: stigma fighters. Yeah, exactly.
0: You have to make up little spray cans for conferences. That would be really cute. <laughs> Maybe well, with
1: a silly string, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Go to the dollar store, pick up a bunch of them. Brenda, I want to go to you. And, and Brian, thank you for all of that. I appreciate it. Why don't you tell us about the achievements that the National Council of Dementia Minds has, has made to date? Because you haven't been around that long.
3: And I just, you know, I have this list of things that they've achieved. But you know what? When I sit here and listen... The achievement is transformation. The achievement is transformation in their lives. Transformation in my life. Transformation in the lives of those people that we interact with. I mean, we are making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the number one thing. And, and it's hard to deny that after listening to what you guys have to say. But what's so f- phenomenal is we started out as eight group, a, a group of eight friends. And one of the things we said early on was you know what's really sad? Are all the dementia advocates that are out there, we all know each other. And we're like, well, why is that sad? It's sad because it means the number is small, right? There's a few, so we only know. And so we, you know, we Mark said our mission develop a group in every community. I mean, we want everybody to have an opportunity, this opportunity to have their life transformed after diagnosis. Um, you're right, Lori. You said about how the situation hasn't changed. You know, I was thinking. Oh, I was hoping that, ten, you know, after your know, Mark was diagnosed seven, eight years ago, that it would be different even now. But we just had a, a guy join our group and say, you know, yeah, the doctor said it wouldn't do me any good. And then the the wife did work. And she said, it was so hard to find you. I'm so, you you know, I'm so glad we connected, but it was hard to find. We can't be hard to find. Like you talked about um, the dementia maps program and stuff. I mean, we have to be out there. and that's, And so we just want to have a group in every community. Uh, I know that when Bonnie, I'll call you out, Bonnie, um, I know that she really searched for one in her own home community and and couldn't find. Stephen Mm -hmm. mentioned he didn't feel like he connected quite right with the group. Um, You're right. You also said, Lori, there's lots of groups. Everybody picks and chooses what group works best for them. And our group, it was so fun, is the part, you know, we do the support, we do the connectedness. But as Brian just described and and others hinted to it, when you're out doing that training, all of a sudden, when you're thanked and you're recognized, all of a sudden, you're sitting up a little straighter and you're feeling a little better because you are a contributing member to our society. You're making a difference in the lives of people today. These guys are making a difference in lives of people who are coming to the groups today and they're paving the road for the future. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say a few things, like we just became a not-for-profit in May. We've been together um, for a couple of years prior to that. But we said, hey, we have a secret sauce. We don't need to keep it a secret anymore because we went from one group to two groups to three groups with a waiting list of people who want to be in a group. So we're like, we have to, and so we have a greater community in terms of we have the groups and then we kind of have a holding tank of we're trying to keep people engaged until we get new groups. And so on the drawing boards are four new groups in 2022 and building that infrastructure really sound so that then we can go nationwide and have groups everywhere. So this past year, just our past year, we did 30 educational events for nearly 4,000 people. And we're brand new, <laughs> No pretty, pretty. And, and then who, you might ask who attends our events? People living with dementia, care partners. We love talking to the medical students, one of our favorite groups to talk to. We do assisted living providers, healthcare providers. We've brought researchers into our group and schooled them too, haven't we, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, you know, so we just, the world is our audience. And so our vision is to transform the world's view of persons living with neurocognitive disease and or disorders. And I think if you take a look at the faces here and their voices, that's what they're doing. I'd yep. say so that's our achievement.
0: That's uh, pretty spectacular stuff that you're doing. And I know a lot of people will probably be reaching out to you after, after this show. Um, you know, it's just, it's so important to connect people And to let their voices be heard, even when, uh, you know, a lot of people will join a group and think, no, I'm, I, you know, I'll just listen, you know, or I'm going because they told me I had to, but people walk out of these groups with um, immediate friendships they are kind of like, they kind of remind me of the memory cafes, there's just this instant connection And Mm -hmm. these deep conversations, people aren't talking about the weather and the sports and unless it's their kids game or something like, I mean, they're talking about meaningful stuff in their life, you know, and you, we have so little of that in this fluff and perfect world that everyone's trying to project themselves into. And, and people are so accepting and loving and supportive. And you just don't find that in everyday um, friendships out there nowadays. And so it really is important. Um, Go ahead, Mark.
6: Yeah, I know a lot of people, but even myself, uh, the resources that have been given to me is that how I can handle... uh, um, uh, It just left me a little bit. Hang on. uh, When this happens to me, Uh, for an example, I couldn't find this key that I had put on a thing that was yellow on it. And when I came to the group and said, I could not find this key, I have looked top and bottom. Brenda said, yeah, I saw you, you were doing something, but you know, and she just left it at that. But I was very frustrated that I, and it was a house key. I thought I had lost that somebody could get it um but somebody said well yeah that's happened to me that it went right down the list was always oh yeah that's happened to me too and uh you've got to give it a give it a chance and don't hurry about it just relax and you'll you'll find it and i said well i put it right on the table And when I went back, I looked at the table. I'll be darn! I've been looking for that key all week. And here it is still at the same spot. Now, dementia is a weird, weird disease, man. I'll tell you, it does some strange stuff. And if I hadn't talked to those people about not giving up, and this is what's happened to me. And I was getting very angry with myself. But when they told me, oh, just let it go. It'll come up, you know, don't, if you think about it, go by the, wherever you thought you left it. What can I say? You know, they were right. I didn't have to pay a big doctor bill for some, some guy to tell me, hey, you left it on the table right where you were the first time. So, I mean, I need the explanation of how I survived through some of these things and a doctor can't tell you. A counselor can't tell you. But this group right here told me. And, you know, it's made a difference in my life on living with dementia every day. And I really have been blessed by that uh, with the different groups, but especially this group. Uh, they, they pick up on that stuff. They know that, that, yeah, that's frustrating. That happened to me. So, I mean it's good to know that you had those people you can uh, reach out to and, and hold, you know, they really hold you and say, just calm down and it'll come, you'll find it. And you don't know how many times that's, that's happened. In fact, it just happened again. I had bought a scraper for the grill and I thought I hooked it up on the grill. And yesterday I'd been looking all week and I found it in my, truck in the back seat (laughs) and i got to think about oh yeah i put that on the grill but then i went back took it off and put it in the truck so i mean what the heck but you got to laugh about it it's just uh it's just an everyday occurrence for some of us and people have different things uh bonnie keeps going out to those cheap stores buying coffee cups because she can't hit the counter so it's uh we have a good laugh about it it's just it's the way it is
0: well and i i think that's a good point too laughter is really important and sometimes people give that up when a disease hits but to me that uh, that is like a critical critical thing to keep go ahead brian i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you
1: that's all right. I was gonna tell Mark, I, I'm very sorry for that because that was me. I would oh. fly, I'd fly, you know, to there and move the key to a different spot. And you know, Brenda helped a, a couple of times, Tracy helped a couple of times just to kind of keep you on your toes, you know. Yeah. All
3: right.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, let's I, I, I do have one last question. Um, and I'm going to throw this to um, Bonnie first. And that is what would you tell someone who is just diagnosed? I think the first
4: thing I would do um, until we get those doctors uh, to change the delivery um, is to tell them, yes, there is hope. Because you leave pretty hopeless, mm-hmm. oftentimes. So yes, there is hope. I myself am very passionate about um, moving forward faster. I kind of got lost for a good 16, 18 months in the darkness. Um, I didn't know where to go. I couldn't get a support go- going in in my own community. Um, you know, it wasn't until, um, until I found some things through the internet. Um, And they're not on the first page when you key in, because we all know what's on the very first page and probably the second page too, Um, but that there is life after diagnosis. And I was a a big self-stigma person. I instantly thought, because I wasn't given hope when I left the doctor's office, I instantly thought late stage, you know, does that come tomorrow? Does that come, you know, how quickly does that get here? So, and then you scour the internet and get a whole bunch of bad information where I finally found a support group and the people looking back at me in a forum like this told me they had been diagnosed, um, eight, 10, 12, 15 years ago. I mean, it was like, whoo! I couldn't believe it. It was a huge, huge gift to be with like kind SMEs subject matter experts on the um, living well with and from that I learned I want to do that I want to pass along hope and I want to advocate and I want to teach the the laymen out there that don't know what it's like to have a diagnosis like this that yes there is hope after diagnosis and I and I I I'm going down with that motto. So
0: wonderful. I think that's, that's great. I think one of the things too, that would be helpful for a doctor is just to, just to even say the phrase, something like social engagement is critical to a good life period. Yes. It's good before dementia and it's critical now. And I know there's not near enough research on that, but to me, I think that's why my mom lived 30 years. I think that's why a lot of people are living 10, 15, 20 years with this disease, because they feel purposeful. They feel engaged. They feel of value. Um, They're they're not just a diagnosis. And I hate to, I I hate even using the word person-centered because I really think it's relationship-based. Care Mm -hmm. for one another. Um, If you're diagnosed or not, nobody wants to be the target of every. The world has to evolve around you, and and modify to you. You want to be able to modify to your world as well, and to be able to adapt, and to be able to give back, and to be able to care, and and have that received. And so, I I think that that is um, extremely important. And I'm I'm going to point out a little stronger than you did, Bonnie, but. I'm real tired of the pay for play in terms of Googling because it, it's doing a big disjustice and, and Google the Google gods will probably come down on me. But, um, but I, think, I think that's one of the reasons our world is in a mess. People think they have to pay for a position instead of delivering service. And and instead of being of service and I and I think, especially in the dementia world, it can do um, a big injustice when when people are out there trying to control the market. I think the best way to control the market still is word of mouth and um, hearing, you know, hearing what people are saying about different services products and tools, and people have to if they're going to use Google they got it, they have to dig deeper. But some of the problem is they don't know the terms either, which, um, again, I'll give a plug for dementia map is one of the things we're trying to work with, but, you know, you guys are talking about a lot of different terms, just types of different dementias that people don't even know about. And, you know, you're, you're open to collaborating with, with everybody, you know, like you said, you're the, the audience is your world and that's the way it should be. You know, businesses, uh, there isn't a sector that doesn't need this information, um, from the very young to the very old, and in all different professions. So, um, thank you for that advice. Steven, how about you? Um, you had a comment, and I wanted to ask you that same question as well. So,
5: just like Bonnie said, you know, we want to educate them in a sense, there's definitely life after dementia. My biggest thing, too, is I want them to know I didn't put my life on hold. I know some people hit a pause, I hit the fast forward. Uh, my, at that point, the best time to do something is now when my wife and I were talking about going to Egypt one day um, I booked a trip two days later and we left for Egypt four days later. Most people spend six months trying to plan a trip like that. So, you know, I, I'm trying to, I want to do, You know the best i can i do recommend when you know somebody gets diagnosed they should get some of their affairs and orders get their living trust and their will while they're cognitive and they can make all those decisions or whatnot that's very important but i also want to remind them there is quality of life quality of life is extremely important you know you you've got to realize you don't have to stop doing some of the things you were doing before you just have to change how you're doing things An example, I used to be able to play golf. I'm not a great golfer, but I enjoy doing it. But when I was diagnosed and I started playing, I was getting super frustrated because I'd lose my ball, I'd lose count. And I felt like uh, I'm not gonna ever play golf again until somebody made a simple recommendation. Stephen, why don't you tee off last instead of teeing off first or second? Because that was the problem is I would tee off first. I hit my ball, three other guys hit their balls. But the problem is, because they hit their three balls. I had four balls. I my, was on my brain where somebody says, just tee off last. And that, and then if, when you give your score, if we know you, you, you got a five, we're just going to write a five when you say a four. So I, we had that conversation. So I didn't have to give it up. I just had to change how I was doing things. Um, so you want to still do the things you love. and You hear sometimes dementia signals end, end of life. No, no, no. It signals just change of life. So, you can still do those things that you love. So, again, don't let somebody tell you you can't do something. You know, let them know that you still want to do it. And there's ways that you can still do that by adjusting. So, like Bonnie said, we want to give them hope when they get that diagnosis because a lot of times, one of the first things when you Google uh, is you hear four to eight years. Once you get a diagnosis, it's 48, year, 48 years. Or so, I was already like clicking my brains about what did I need to do in that time frame. Well, I just started on ten years, and I said I'm really going to screw up that average because I'm shooting for a good thirty or forty years. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm a retired banker, so I'm going to throw off that math on that calculation, because. Most people are getting diagnosis when it's totally obvious, you know, stage seven, if you go, you know, the one through seven or, or stage six. So again, I want to let these people, especially those that were early diagnosis, they're still alive. Just, you just need to make some changes. And the important thing is, is you have to self-educate yourself because you're going to be amazed how people are going to ask you questions or even your caregiver or spouse, you're going to need to educate them on how you need to be cared for. So you can see everybody's head shaking. I know everybody else has an, another comment on, on that. So I'll stop so Brian and others can share.
0: No, that was great, great information. And the, the age variable, that drives me bonkers too from the doctors because I know so many of you that are living so much longer. I also appreciate the fact that you mentioned, hey, you do need to get your affairs in order. But you know what? Everybody should be getting their affairs in order when they're 18 years old, period. And this shouldn't be a scary end of life thing. This should be about a smart living type thing. And I'm going to put a plug in for um, Compassion and Choices. They actually have a health directive that is free. You can go ahead and and, um, go through it. And it talks about, well, if I get this, how do I want to live? If I have this and this, how do I want to live? You know, what are the choices I want people to make for me? Um, very helpful, and I think for much more than just dementia as well. But I just uh, I, I found that uh, really um, very helpful to add to the healthcare directives. There, anybody else have any more uh, comments, Brian?
1: I have a a suggestion for the medical um, the medical world. Mm-hmm if somebody's coming in to find out if they do have some sort of cognitive disability, they go through the testing, they get their diagnosis and pretty much that's about it. Why not have someone who is living with a dementia related illness, be part of that information and Sit down with that newly diagnosed person who has no idea what they are going to going to do or not do, and kind of have a a, a handbook sort of sort of thing. And I think that from the get go, right now, instead of just receiving a diagnosis and you know a pat on the back and good luck with that. Um, have someone else there to explain it to them, someone that's living it. They are truly the experts that they can give that information to that newly diagnosed person.
0: That's well, an interesting concept. My guess is right away, they're going to be worried about legalities. What if they say something wrong? And that comes back yeah. to bite us in the butt. Um, but again, I think that they can easily refer out to get exactly. connected. You know, even like with dementia mentors that's out there. But I mean, they're just, they're packed too with people. You know, a lot of the mentees turn into mentors. They turn into advocates because they were, you know, they got that hand to lift them up. I think it's a brilliant idea and something that hospitals and clinics should look into. And, you know, that might even be another great way to be able to, I know you were looking at getting more of, of, um, dementia minds set up around the world, maybe they're set up through clinics, and then they they can have their hand, you know, in it a little bit more. But I think, you know, I get so tired of people worrying about the legality instead of life. Can't we support people in living life better? There's always going to be somebody out there that's going to sue, but that's going to happen. I find in this community, though, people are just so thankful for the information that's the last thing on their list you know they know that you're doing the best the other thing that i, I worry about with um with what you recommended because i've seen this a lot brian is i i could see them leveraging people with dementia too much to the point where it pushes down their quality of life because you know it's a, it's a full-time job and the pressure is on um, so I think it, I think it has to be done in a, in a fair way um, that doesn't cause um, stress and exhaustion to the person with dementia, you know, if they're, if they're compensated or um, if it's a rotation, um, but, but I've seen that a lot when people feel a, a little bit too much pressure. Um, And they don't know how to how to back off because they like what they're doing and they want to be helpful. But that's always kind of sad in my heart, Bonnie. I
4: just wanted to I just wanted to add that, um, you know, just that list of resources, just just the list of resources or, um, you know, that alone would give you hope. I know that when my husband had heart surgery, um, he got a referral to a social worker because depression comes along with heart conditions. Um, maybe a referral to a psychologist that is trained in medical, um, you know, um, can't think of the right word to use right now, but um all of that, I just came home. These things you're so caught up in the diagnosis and, and trying to sort it out that those things didn't enter my mind. I just know that easier steps can be, you know, taken if. In the beginning, education was provided. I didn't even know what white matter disease was, Mm -hmm. you know, and wasn't my daughter and I left going, well, what the hell is that? So we (laughs) went home and looked it up and we're like, "Ooh, I don't I don't like that.
1: (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know what white matter disease was until you started, you know, talking about what it was. So when I got that diagnosis, I said, oh, Bonnie's got that. So I can talk to her or, you know, it's just.
0: Why don't we, why don't Bonnie, why don't you tell people? Cause there's probably a lot of people listening that don't know what white matter is. Well, what white matter
4: um, disease is, which we'll probably hear more and more about it. It's deep down the feather fine um, arteries in the brain, the subcortical arteries of the brain have what's called not TIAs. I know uh, even medical people want to say TIAs. CIAs, but they're silent strokes. They're actual damaging strokes that um, accumulate over time causing MCI, um, you know vascular dementia, secondary to the white matter disease, that, that type of thing. And it's controllable for the most part if you a live a stress-free life if someone wants to get out and write a book on how to actually do that, and then B, you know, medications, cholesterol, blood pressure, um, blood thinner medicines, that kind of a thing. So um, yeah, and it's not like Alzheimer's where that can be harder to be diagnosed. Ours is an MRI and it's like, oh, wow, you know, um, you have a lot of lesions, you know, deep within your brain. So I'm, I'm assuming that's what happened to Brian finally when he, you know, had another MRI and then his diagnosis too. Came along, and oftentimes vascular is mixed um, by like seventy percent by the later later stages with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and that is one of the things too. The the names, the terms, the types are constantly changing, and and so it's not uncommon for a person's uh, diagnosis to change, and that's something that they don't prepare you for either. And I hear people that's like it, you know, it takes takes the brown paper bag and dumps everything out on the floor again. And you're starting from scratch trying to figure out, okay, what do I live? How do I adapt? What's this about? And, um, we all know that stress isn't good for this disease. So why are we setting people up? You know, that's one of my biggest questions. Why are we setting people up? Um, we can do better. And, um, you know with organizations like yours we are doing better so i want to thank you all for your for your time today anybody else have any last minute comments otherwise we'll go ahead and, and wind up here okay i wish
1: people would start stop using the term all timers mm-hmm. that's all i gotta say <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> well it's a, one of those common terms that's out there i think people are starting to understand that it is just one one form there's um, so that's a good thing with that. Yeah. Now people can can get a hold of the National Council of Dementia Minds by just going to dementia minds.org. That's dementia minds.org. And you can always email Brenda that can get a hold of anybody here at Brenda at Dementiaminds.org. To our listeners, I would like to say, you know, share this. This is good information. This is hopeful information. We all know somebody who's dealing with this. If it's not ourselves, it's a loved one, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. Don't keep information to yourself. It it doesn't do anybody any good. Your knowledge is better shared. Reach out to them. Become part of the group. Get involved. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having us.
5: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share.
1: Yeah.